Our gospel reading this morning is taken from the gospel according to Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. I invite us now to hear a reading of the gospel. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. So she had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where, she, where, she, where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kaum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was twelve years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, as you can see, we are in a different location today. We're in a familiar location. We are outside the church here on the west side of the building, outside the Fellowship Hall parking lot, as, uh, acting as a reminder for us and for all of our uh, family, our church family, to remember that this evening at 7 o'clock we will have a um, drive-up communion service. We are so pleased and, and look forward to having this service and sharing the meal with you uh, this evening at 7 o'clock. So I hope you will make plans to join us. Um, as we uh, meet this morning, we are um, finishing up this sermon series. This is the last installment of Beyond the Walls. And as we are looking back over the walls of our church, we are reminded that the church is still here still working, still moving forward, even beyond its walls, its address, out in the community. 
And that's one of the powerful things about the church is that it is empowered and encouraged by the Spirit, the Spirit of God to move in the world, to reflect God's grace and love to the world, to grow that kingdom where we live and where we travel. This is an amazing and a powerful image for us to always bear in mind wherever we are and wherever we go, that we are always called to live beyond the walls, which is what Kristen talked about that first week when Jesus called his disciples. They were asked to move beyond the walls, beyond what they knew, what they were familiar with, into an unfamiliar and unknown, into, into this following Jesus as rabbi, into a new venture, a new world, a new life. And then we followed up last week with uh, this idea of being healed beyond the walls, and we considered the the demoniac who was found and encountered in the, in, the, in the tombs, in the graveyard outside of the towns of Gerasene and that Decapolis, that, that Greek and Gentile area. And Jesus encounters the unclean, the unfamiliar, the, the scary and frightening world of a demoniac and heals him and allows him to regain his wholeness, his health, regain his identity, his humanity and his personhood and to re-enter community, to re-enter life as a healed human. That's an incredible and powerful image for us to take forward into the world, that even when we are outside the walls, when we are outside of our normal and what is familiar, outside the walls, the address of a church, or even our homes, that God is with us, Christ is with us to heal us and all humanity, all the world. And as we continue to move beyond these walls, we find this message today, this, this incredible narrative that is found in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they're all structured very similarly, uh, where Mark has, has taken this, this raising of uh, Jairus' daughter, this synagogue leader, um, the president of the synagogue. His daughter has fallen ill and is on, at the point of death, and, his, and the synagogue leader reaches out, seeks out Jesus, um, and then in, in this story, within this story, we have the story of, of this woman who seeks out Jesus to be healed of her own illness, this hemorrhaging for 12 years. So we have this very interesting narrative structured in such a way that allows us to see these approaches and this seeking out of Jesus from different perspectives and different, uh, different um, foundations. One is a foundation of fear and the other is a foundation of faith. But they all find, both account, encounters find faith and they find healing beyond the walls of what they have known as normal, what they knew as routine, what they knew as the rhythm of life had been changed drastically. This, this man, if we take this man's story, an incredible story, we don't know much about Jairus. We know only what we're told in this account, that he was a leader of the synagogue, probably not a rabbi, probably like a president of the rabbi. He handled the administrative duties of the of the synagogue. He was one of the leaders of the synagogue and it was, he was probably in that position because of his position in the community, that he had some measure of wealth and had some uh, capability and ability to take care of, of the administrative responsibilities. And so that was part of his job was to take care of the synagogue. He was a man of position, a man that was known in the community, a man that was respected in the community. And he, he had this probably a very normal life. Um, a life that he had probably planned out and it was going normal. The rhythms were as he expected. He went to work every day. Just, let's just take a moment and just think about this man, Jairus. Think about him getting up every morning, getting ready for work. He goes to, every day he goes to work. 
He puts in a full day, he returns home to find that his wife has been there managing the household. She's been taking care of all the household duties and requirements, making sure that the market, that someone has attended to the market, has brought home uh, food for the day's meals, and, and, and as the, the children have been cared for and have been trained and taught, and those who are old enough are able to go and learn a trade or learn the law to, to, to learn their religion and their philosophy. And, and, and there are um, other duties there at home, and this is all handled. So when he arrives home, everything is normal. Everything is as it should be. He's able to come in, kick off his sandals, put his feet up, children gather around, bring him a nice glass of water and maybe a glass of, of, of wine, and he's able to relax and hear all that's happened, all the children have learned in that day, to hear of, of what was at the market and who his wife saw at the market. And then when supper is ready, his wife calls the family together to gather around that table to recline around that table and to share a meal together. And just imagine, after having all of the best that the markets have to offer, they retire to, their, to the roof of their home or, or to a courtyard, and again, they're just able to relax and recall their day and, and dream about what tomorrow will bring, dream about their future, because everything is as it should be. Everything is normal. But then one day, one unexpected day, everything changes. Their daughter falls ill. Maybe she's the youngest of the family. Maybe she's the oldest, eldest of the family. We're not, we don't know. We know she's 12 years old, which is old enough in that day to be engaged and to maybe leave the care of her father and to the care of her soon-to-be husband. We're not sure of their situation. We're not sure exactly how long she had been ill. We just know that she was very ill, that her father had watched her decline. Her mother had been by her bedside, holding her hand, crying and weeping and praying for some healing. Her, her father had gone to the physicians and to the healers and to the experts looking for answers, and there was none. He had gone to the rabbi to seek answers, and the rabbi, the religious leaders, could offer a compassionate ear and prayers and encouragement, but there was no answer for healing. He had gone to the civic leaders, to the, to, the, to the community leaders, to hear what they would have to say. What advice do they have? What referrals do they have? And I'm sure they had theirs, but there was no healing. There was only sickness in his house, only unfamiliar and abnormal life in his house. The neighbors, I'm sure, offered their advice and their opinions, and they probably began to, to offer help, that we'll take care of the children. We can do for you. We can go to the market for you. We can, we can do whatever we can to help you. But even those offers of help became more cautious offers as the sickness did not get better. And the neighbors probably began to question, what has Jairus done to deserve this illness, this condition, as he begins to feel and question for himself, what has he done? What can he do to make amends? What can he do to atone for what has befallen his household? He reaches a point of such fear and such desperation that he leaves the cover and the protection of from shame that is his household. 
to go and seek out Jesus, this young rabbi who has been a challenge and a threat to the Jewish synagogue leadership. This is not somebody he would have eagerly gone to seek, seek out, gone to ask for help, gone to be seen with, to engage in a conversation. This is someone that was considered a great threat to his way of life, to his understanding of life. It was Jesus who presented a, a, a threat and a challenge to Herod Antipas, the leader of the area, and potentially even a threat to the Roman Empire. All of this was in Jairus' mind when he went out beyond the walls, the walls of his comfort, the walls that protected him from the shame to seek out Jesus and fall at Jesus' feet and say, just go and lay your hands upon her. I am desperate for healing. And it's here that Mark begins a new story. And it's here that we can take Jairus' story and insert our own story. Certainly we all, as church members, as a, as a church family, we had our normal uh, routines. We had our ordinary rhythms of going to church every Sunday, going to Bible study and Sunday school and, and children's choir and youth events. And this was all just a normal routine for us until March. And when mid-March landed upon us, everything changed. And we can ask ourselves, where has the normal gone? When will it return? Where, where can we find help? As we look to ex health experts and medical experts for a cure, we're waiting. We're waiting for this cure. We're waiting for an answer. And as we continue to wait, we, we question, what have we done? Where, what do we need to make amends for? What do we need to atone for? Where, where is the answer? And maybe it's not nothing of that sort. Maybe it's not making amends. Maybe it's not making atonement. Maybe it's just being willing to get out beyond our walls, the walls of our comfort, the walls of our, what we consider normal, the walls of what we consider safe, and be able to, to leave our protection, even in fear, to seek out help, to seek out God, to seek out Jesus, and to throw ourselves at His feet and just ask for healing in whatever form that comes in, and then find ourselves in this mass of people, just as Mark invites us to, to, to encounter. You know, when, when Jairus finds Jesus, he has come back from the other side of the sea, where we talked about last week, this Decapolis, this, this, this Greek and Gentile community, this G Greek and Gentile geography. He's come back from there. And when he lands, there's a crowd there waiting for him, a crowd of, of his countrymen, a crowd of, of Jewish people. And they're waiting because they've heard and they've seen and they want to experience all that Jesus can offer all that he can say, all that they can hear, all that he can lay his hands upon and do. They want to experience that. And so as Jairus throws himself in the midst of this crowd, the crowd is pressing in. And the crowd is, is a, can be a symbol for us of, of all of the community's um, ills and conditions and sicknesses and brokenness. It can be a symbol for 
the ills of the world. Even before there was a COVID-19, there were ills and conditions and brokenness in our world. And we were able to see that and experience that and, and have a glimpse of this in this mass that is pressing in on Jesus. And in this mass, there's one woman who's willing to reach out and touch him in faith. A woman who has been experiencing 12 years of hemorrhaging. Now, this is an important thing to know for, for this meant she was unclean, ritually unclean, and she could not participate in the life of the community. And if you came in contact with her, you were considered unclean. You have to be ritually cleansed. This was, this was important because it kept her in isolation isolated from the rest of her family, the rest of her neighborhood, the rest of her community. And she reaches out. She goes beyond her walls that protected her from shame, that protected her and the community from being unclean, and she reaches out to Jesus just to touch His garment because there was so much power. She had faith in His power that even touching His garment, she would be made well, she would be healed. And when she does that, and Jesus feels that someone has touched Him, and something extraordinary has happened, He turns and He asks, who has touched me? And His disciples, they are those 12 disciples, question, what do you mean? Do you not see, do you not feel the pressure of this mass of people, this crowd? How are, how are you to know, how are we to know who has touched you? And this woman who reached out in faith now comes in fear, afraid that what has been taken away from her will be given back. That this healing, that this illness has been removed, that her body has been healed, and now she's afraid that that, that that will be given back to her and she will once again be broken. But Jesus says, your faith, you coming in faith has made you well. And that's, an, that's an incredible piece sandwiched into this story. As she reaches out in faith, Jesus tells her, you've been made well. Go now, my daughter in peace because you've been healed. My daughter, she, he welcomes her and identifies her as one of his kinsmen, as a relative, as a, a member of his family. No longer does she have to be afraid, but she can live now with the fear she entered beyond the walls and she can continue beyond the walls in faith. Her life can continue in faith. And then, while Jesus is speaking to this woman, people come to Jairus and say, your daughter has died. There's no need to bother the teacher anymore. There's no need to bother Jesus anymore. There's no need to bother the rabbi anymore. It's over, it's done. Your daughter has passed. And Jesus overhearing this conversation tells his disciples, three of them, Peter, James, and John, to follow with him, to go with the household, and they'll make their way, and they'll leave the crowds behind. Because he wants to focus 
on death and life and the life of this young 12-year-old girl. When he enters a house, he finds there, there are already the, 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 the funeral rites have already begun. The mourning has already started. The grieving has already begun where, the, where professional mourners are there and they are crying out and they're praying and they're mourning. And when he enters the house, he, he says, what is all the commotion? What is all this? This, this woman, this little girl is only sleeping. She has not died. And they, we're told that they laugh at his comment. And so he excuses this, this group of mourners. He asks them to leave. And, and then he takes the mother and the father and the household into the room where the girl is lie, laid out um, in state. And with him goes Peter, James, and John. And this is a very small group. The house is now empty, empty of all doubt, empty of only those who come to seek healing, who seek life. And that's when Jesus takes her by the hand and he says, wake up, get up, girl. And when she arises, people are amazed. Mother and father are amazed. The disciples are amazed. And Jesus says, give her something to eat. And tell no one what has happened. It's a puzzling end to an incredible story. Why not proclaim and exclaim what has happened? Well, they probably did. And when the girl was seen walking about, it could only be one answer. There could only be one reason, and that is the work of God. That God brought life into that house. And out of fear comes life. Well beyond the walls, that man found the faith to bring forth his fear and lay it at the feet of Christ and say, give us life. And maybe that is a, a lesson that we can learn today, is that even when we are afraid to the point of not knowing what to do, where to turn, or, or where to go, but find enough, just a, a glimmer, a, a sliver, a glimpse of faith to launch ourselves out beyond what is normal, what protects us, what we think protects us, and throw ourselves at Christ to seek out the great physician and let Christ, let God offer us healing, offer us life beyond the walls. And whether we come in fear or whether we come in faith, we will find life in Christ, faith in Christ. And when we find that faith, we can live beyond the walls. So maybe wherever we are and whatever we're dealing with, whether it's the, the abnormality of, of COVID-19, the, the broken rhythms of COVID-19, the fears and the unknown of COVID-19, or maybe it's some other illness, some other condition, some other worry, some other concern or fear that's pressing in on us. And we find ourselves in this great mass of humanity, all bringing our individual fears and concerns, oh. we all come with fear. And we all come with some measure of faith. 
And Jesus encounters us with whatever we come with. And if we're willing and, and, and allow ourselves to just attach a little faith to Christ, we will find life, life abundantly, life in faith that will allow us to move through this world and beyond the walls of anything we consider normal, of anything we consider safe. Because beyond the walls, there is faith. And beyond our walls, there is life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we consider our life beyond the walls, I invite us to affirm our faith that leads us whether we are within our walls or beyond our walls, the faith in Christ, the faith in the triune God that we find spelled out in the Apostles' Creed. Let us affirm our faith together. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Again, we want to thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning, even in this virtual env environment beyond the walls. And if you have any questions about Ashland Place, United Methodist Church, or any questions about the faith, I hope you will step out in fear or step out in any measure of faith and call the church office or contact Kristen or I. Any one of our staff members would love to talk to you about the church and our faith. And now let us receive our benediction. Having heard the word read and proclaimed, let us depart from this time to live beyond the walls, to live with faith, faith that provides life in all of our circumstances and wherever we are. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.